0: Our country is in a tailspin. The most popular word in America today is racism. 200 plus years of striving and tension around this idea of race is spilling all over and into the streets. You see it every day, you hear about it every day. The noise is so loud. It's annoying, it's tedious, it's concerning. There are some people who are reacting with no filter whatsoever. Whatever is on their minds, whatever is in their hearts, is coming out in their words and their actions. And then there are other people who just want to head for the hills. They want to bury their heads in the sand. And then everybody else is somewhere in the middle, scattered between those two extremes. The question is, why are we here? What happened to us more importantly, what can we do? You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. I want to focus on those three questions in this podcast. Why are we here? What happened to us? Most importantly, what can we do? If you want to read this podcast, I would love for you to do it. There's an article on our website with the same title. Here's the title. The new slave owner is a liberal paternalistic government. This is an intricate podcast. There's a lot to think about. I have some A bunch of information inside this article. And so if you just want to spend a week or two studying this article, I would love for you to do that because there's enough information for you to do that, and it would help you. My appeal to you is to be engaged in whatever level you can, whatever platform God has for you. It may just be your family. It may be your cul-de-sac, your neighborhood, your community, your local church. Some of you have a larger platform. Form, but I I do appeal to you not to retreat. If you want to see things change, then you have to be part of the change process, and you have a sphere of influence, however big or small that may be. And I do encourage you that you educate yourself, that you get up to speed on this. I know it's noisy. I know it's loud. I know it's annoying. But you can learn about it without stepping into the hysteria that's going on in our country right now. And maybe this article and this podcast will be part of that process to help you uh, to get your mind around what is going on uh, in our country and actually going on pretty much globally, kind of like the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Those two things seem to be Uh, in lockstep or interweaving with each other, and it's it's having a universal impact, but I'm speaking mostly of what's going on uh, in America. As always, if you want to talk about any of our content, including this idea of racism, we would love for you to do that. We have free community forums that are brought to you by our faithful supporting community. By the way, uh, Cindy, thank you for your kind note. Uh, that you sent. Uh, thank you for your gratitude for this ministry. I appreciate it, Cindy and Edwin. Thank you so much for your kind note. It was quite encouraging, and uh, thanks for being part of our supporting community. And so we have a lot of free resources because of people like Edmund and Cindy, and, and they want you. They want you to to take part. They, they make this available for you, and so please peruse our resources and if you want to interact with us we are a dialogue ministry not a monologue ministry and so we we want to dialogue with you and if you have questions that you want to work through and need some advice if we can serve you please let us know. Go to our free community forums. If you are a supporting member, uh, you can go to our private forums. Those are for those who support financially. You can go there, but either way, we want to talk to you. We've been talking on the forums today. We were doing that yesterday and the day before, and God willing, we'll do it tomorrow as well. We are here for you, and we do want to serve you. Again, the title of this article is The New Slave Owner is a liberal, paternalistic government. These thoughts are paraphrased. They are not mine. Uh, They came from the book Shame, How America's Past Sins, How Polarized Our Country, by the author and uh, one of the—I don't know if he's a fellow or not, but at the Uh, Hoover Institute, Shelby Steele. There's a link here inside this article that you can click on that would take you to Amazon. I would encourage you to get his book, Shame, How America's Past Sins, How Polarized Our Country. I've gone through it once. I've started a second time, and I'll probably go through it two or three more times, which is typically how I work through a book. I have a 45-minute video of Shelby Steele talking about how America's past sins have polarized our country. I would encourage you. This video is embedded inside this article, and so if you want to watch that, please please do. I want to begin this podcast by talking about idealism idealism is, is something that we all possess, something that we all have, something that we all want. We have an ideal of how life should be and how we want life, and that is a good thing. Well, when it comes to racism, we have an, there's an ideal about racism, too. But here's the thing, is that uh, all of our ideals, uh, we're fallen people. So when we think about ideal situations or outcomes or ideas. Well, sin stains those things, and so therefore we all have an ideal to remove racism, but then you have competing groups who have different views about the truth and the way regarding racism. And because sin penetrates all idealistic perspectives, Anyone's best plans and aspirations can take radical turns that can keep us from those ideals and can even deform our good intentions. And so it would be helpful that we, if you tend to be judgmental, overly judgmental about those who talk about the removal of racism and they don't quite see it the way you do, well, again, sin taints everything. And so uh, we, we want to make sure that we judge with humility, that we talk about people with humility knowing that we have the log in our eye because even our ideals whatever they may be we're talking about racism in this podcast but all of our ideals are tainted by sin the civil rights movement for example was born out of the ideal that america is a great country that is the ideal from beginning to end Uh, The framers of our Constitution wanted, uh, they believed that America is and will continue to be a great country. And as we move along in the 60s, as I remember, I was alive, and I I remember watching Martin Luther King on television, and he talked about the guiding principles of this country. And similar to the framers of, of our country, it gave him confidence that we would win the fight against racism. This is the ideal. He believed that America was great and it could reach higher because of the Declaration of Independence. It laid out a roadmap for the equality of all people. He believed that, and I believe that too. And even though many of the framers of America's plan for our future had slaves, they inherently knew it was not right and our country could do better. It's kind of like the addict who knows what he's doing is wrong, but understands there is a better way. It is true. The stain of sin flowed from the framers' pens as they wrote about an ideal future. Think about that sentence. It is a complex sentence, but it speaks to where we all are. The stain of sin flowed from the framers' pens as they wrote about an ideal future. Mercifully, it was their desire for what was moral, that motivated them to press on with this notion that all men and all women are created equal and should have the same rights in this land of the free. America could have stayed a country that promoted slaves, but our forefathers, though guilty, we can acknowledge this. We don't have to tear down their statue to prove it or to affirm it, but no, we can, we can admit it. Our forefathers are just like us. They were guilty of the very sins that they were writing against, but they did not waver from the ideal of moving America forward. And that's why it's important when you think about this idea of ideals. There's no such thing as a pure Ideal. They penned the documents that caused a country to take a moral leap from a dark past of slavery, hoping that progress, idealism, courage, and change would be in our future. And it was. And as we move forward 200 years, and now we're in the 1960s, Martin Luther King understood the sinner-saint complex. He, too, was a sinner-saint that has been well-documented, but he did not separate himself from the framers of our country, but inserted himself in the same continuum that they had started, and I trust that you will insert yourself in that same line of progression, uh, that Jefferson and others and King and others, hopefully you and others, like we're going to keep moving forward. King, a fellow sinner saint, was not anti-American, but in line with those who went before him, standing on their shoulders, reaching toward an always reforming culture. Aren't you ever evolving? Well, of course you are. Those of you who name the name of Christ, you are a Christian. You have been born again. You understand the doctrine of sanctification. You were not what you should have been back there in your past, but you strove for a better version of yourself. To expect perfection of your old self is as logical as a parent demanding the perfect one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. Now, the parent understands they have this imperfect kid, but they're heading toward a better day when this child will be more reformed as they move into their adult years. There's no need to tear down a statue to prove a point that they were sinners. Yes, they were, but they had an ideal. America in its infant state was not perfect, and history has never tried to hide our blemishes. The stain of the fall was all over our country then as it is now. I mean, <laughs> who are we to stand in judgment of our horrendous country back then and the things that they believed how much more righteous are we with what's going on in our country today with those who had slaves back then it's just another kind another iteration of evil you can be honest about your past while always trying to improve from what you used to be and that's the thing and i don't know Thomas Jefferson and we're all arguing from silence to be honest with you but I have to believe based on uh, his writings and and the impact and how where I, what he did and, and others like him as well I'm just using him to speak of the collective but uh, that that he really wanted to do right in all of his all of his imperfection Martin Luther King very similar And he could not anticipate how those who came after him post-1968, after he was killed, that they would not follow the 200-year continuum that was bringing change. And that's the thing. When you look at America from a macro perspective, you see tremendous change. The women voting and the civil rights actions in the 1960s and where we were just a year ago or 10 years ago, racism has been i mean not obliterated but it's it's a it's light years different from what it used to be and king believed in the american dream that said it did not matter what the color of your skin was but the content of your character he taught that becoming educated working hard providing for your family were three vital ingre- ingredients to personal freedom and advancement he intuitively knew how a self-reliant spirit was the key that unlocked the door to America's privileges. And we've seen it. And statistically, you you can look at the statistics and you see where the black community was advancing and experiencing more and more freedoms. But then post-King, there came a new activist who chose another route, a different kind of freedom. They saw a freedom that In actuality, it does not set the captive free. Education, hard work, the family, they were not quick enough for these new activists. What they did is they demanded the governmental engineering approach. They looked to the government to give them a quick start, to give them what they wanted. And unwittingly, and I do believe it was unwittingly, they were rejecting the Traditional slave owner of Jefferson's day for a new one. And they never saw it coming, and I think many of them don't see it now. Rather than seeing the grace and the guilt. Of Thomas Jefferson and his friends. They only saw the error of their ways. And not recognizing or maybe blind to the reality of of the stain of sin on all things, what they did, these new activists, is they drew a circle around the past. And you see that today. They have circled the past, they labeled it as anathema, and they have tossed it into the trash heap. A huge mistake. Rather than following King, Martin Luther King, on the continuum to newer, unfolding freedoms, they embraced a new attitude that sounds something like this. It's all wrong. We're going to force the government to socially engineer what we want. If the government does not give us what we want, we will, we will tear down America. Sadly, They are yet to realize how their chucking of the past and embracing a new slave mentality will take them back into the slavery that they disdain. The irony is appalling as you watch so many Americans, black and white, marching toward the slave blocks of the government. The new activists are bowing to a different paternalistic master, and the potent fuel feeds their anger is race envy. The new activists, they see a disparity between individuals and demographics. They mandate that racial, economic, and social equality must come now. It's like the newly married couple who demands that they have all the perks and pleasures of their parents without doing the work that brought their parents those things. The American way holds out opportunities for anyone. Now, granted, some people will have more obstacles, but there is plenty of anecdotal evidence to suggest that if you want it and if you're willing to work for it, the chances of obtaining your dream are higher in this country than any other. I mean, there is a reason that people flood to this country, that people want to come to America. America has done a better job reforming itself than any other country in the world. If you look at it like progressive sanctification in the Christian's life, and every country is progressively sanctifying, America has done an amazing job on the uh, progressive sanctification continuum. But there is confusion And it comes when folks conflate two ideas, equality and disparity. You see, Jefferson, King, and others, they pushed for every American to have an equal chance, but that does not mean the results will be identical for every American. That is not possible. It's not logical. When you take a macro view of how America has changed is stunning. We've never been so close to equality for all. But if you believe that equality should lead to the same results for everyone, then you're going to stay angry. Think about your own family. Let's say that, like in my family, there were five boys. Just say you have multiple siblings in your family. All all five of us had an equal chance. But to think that equality, and when you conflate equality and disparity, you're going to have a problem because if you believe equality for all, which you should, but you believe there should not be a disparity, well, that's when you're going to get into problems. And so the goal for America is for everyone to start at the same place, but there will always be different results. After the activists rejected the past as evil, and the only way to make it right was through governmental intervention, America began its descent to where we are today. It's the Great Regression It's that newly married couple who believes that disparity is a wicked inequality, and the only way to fix it is for someone outside of themselves to give them stuff so they have as much as their parents. The idealism of Martin Luther King that believed America had come a long way, baby, but was not quite there yet. It changed to, we're going to get there today through governmental engineering. Here's their logic. Their logic says this. We're walking away from the hard-fought freedom of our forefathers, who were black and white, and rather than continue the fight for freedom their way, which is foundational to what it means to be an American, we're going to embrace an entitlement attitude and the weapon of choice. For the post-king activist is white guilt. There is truth in the word guilt, because many who went before us were guilty of horrendous acts of racial violence against black Americans. No rational person would deny this truth, saying that some people uh, saying that some white people are guilty. Is absolutely accurate. Labeling every white person in America, past and present, as guilty, well, that's an overreach that will incarcerate both whites and blacks if you're going to take that position. And so with redrawn battle lines, it was no longer a fight for freedom through hard work, educational advancement, and strengthening the black family. The new activists placed their hopes in manipulating white people into critique contrition, hoping these gas-lit guilty folks would do their bidding through governmental privilege. They mixed real guilt with gas-lit white guilt, which produced their sense of entitlement. The evolving freedoms that Martin Luther King led a generation to shifted toward a fixation on the government to bring about equality for all king distanced the black community from the slavery that depended on the benevolence of their masters. The new activists moved the cause away from America's moral progress by swerving toward the government as the new master that would bring the long-awaited equality. The old-time slave was dependent on his master. The postmodern black slave is hitching his chain to the government they make their appeals to the predominantly white paternalistic congressperson to give them a handout. The detrimental irony of this handshake with the devil is that the modern slave owner, the paternalistic congressperson, does not generally love the black person. They don't. The white liberal is using the black person to assuage their white guilt while keeping the black community in bondage to their programs, which keeps the master in charge and the black person enslaved. This bargain with the devil and facade of love, it has its appeal, especially when the promises come. I mean, who doesn't want free stuff? It's sad to watch each politically liberal-minded person fall all over themselves to give more free stuff than the last liberal person. It's liberal one-upmanship as the sympathetic, I put that in quotation marks, paternal leader proves their sorrow over the past by giving out more to those who believe they are entitled. The black person who bows to the governmental masters believes it's an advancement in morality. It's not. It's a lie. The master is catching the slave all over again. In blindness, the black person applauds the paternal government for giving them what they wanted. The white person experiences vindication for their white guilt, and the black person senses equality. But it's not. The black person continues to be small in this revamped liberal ecosystem, but there is more irony. The entitled blacks and paternal liberals blame the conservatives for where we are. It's incredible how liberalism gave us the KKK and other oppressive groups and initiatives, and it was the conservatives who fought along with the blacks for their freedom but this new pact with the new activists, with the devil, this new pact with the devil, it is complete. It goes like this. The entitled black looks to the predominantly paternalistic white politician, and then both groups blame the conservatives for how messed up our country is today. The surreal truth, and surreal is the only word, surreal is the best word, Uh, To think about this, this real truth in this political power play is that conservatives don't want to rule over blacks. I'm a conservative, and I can speak for scores of my conservative friends who don't see black people as inferior or unequal. We see them like us. In America, we see them as Americans. We believe in cooperating with others to help each other gain all of our aspirations. Conservatives embrace equal freedom to everyone, which puts destiny in the hand of the worker to become whatever they desire. From George Washington to Martin Luther King, our country was, was making tremendous progress. Despite our sins, our moral advancement was happening of course, here's the, this may be the heart of the issue. The moral advancement, the progressive sanctification of our country, to use that language, it was happening, and that created a problem for the liberal power brokers. You see, the only way a liberal power broker can survive is to make promises, give away free stuff, and create a dependent class. If equality did come, there would be no place for the liberal. They need our country to swerve off the path that we were on from Washington to King. If freedom did ring, they would be out of business. And so they had to change things, which they did in 11 sequential steps. I wanna lay them out for you. And again, you can read this article if you wish, the new slave owner is a liberal paternalistic government. Here's the 11 sequential steps that the liberal power brokers had to, it had to happen for them to stay in business. Number one, The liberal gave a fake admittance of their white guilt about white privilege, which is so ironic because they keep getting richer and richer. They don't feel guilty, and they don't feel benevolent. They're not giving up their money. Number one, the liberal gave a fake admittance of their white guilt about white privilege. Number two, they mapped their confession over every white person, past and present, thus everybody's. All white people are guilty, and they promote that message. Number three, it emboldened a black person, and the black person, and the emboldened black person accepted their apology. Number four, the black person demanded penance in return for their confession. Penance is another word for entitlement. Number five, the white liberal agreed and promised the moon, one moon at a time. Number six, the duped black person shook on it, which was a step back into bondage. Number seven, the liberal felt exonerated for their past sins. Number eight, the black person is grateful for the handout. Number nine, the liberal is still the master. Number 10, the black person is the slave. Number 11, the disparity between the whites and blacks widens. Racial problems are complicated, and they won't change anytime soon. Though there will never be perfect harmony in a sin-cursed world, we can get back to making progress. The progress that that, if you're over 20, maybe 30 years old, you felt the progress. You knew the progress 10, 15 years ago. My appeal to you is to think less globally about the problem What you see on the internet and to think more personally it's easy to be swept away with the problems you see in the media it's wiser to step away from that noise and focus on what you can change i have a series of questions here at the end of this podcast again the title is the new slave owner is a liberal paternalistic government i would love for you to work through these questions i'll share one with you now with this idea of stepping away from the global nonsense that you hear every day and think more personally and practically with where you live. Number one, examine your heart for any hate toward any person. And when I say that, I'm talking about a black person, a white person, a friend, a frenemy, an enemy, a family member, a spouse, a parent, a church leader, etc. Remove hate. Examine your heart for any hate toward any person Just doing that can be so radical. I have some other questions here, and I'd love for you to read those. You can find them on the article. Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, if you want to talk with us, let us know.